You ready? Yep. You want to count down? Because no, you put it in the show last week. <laughs> I put it in the show every <laughs> really? week. Yes. God. <laughs> Why don't you listen to the show, Dan? <laughs> I can't. It's a, it's my artwork. Like I just I just create uh-huh. it and then it's out there. Like it's like yeah. I don't re-listen to it. I don't read the comments. I don't do any of that. <laughs> you don't market it. I don't reread what I like. Well, I guess some things I write, I reread, but I do market it. I do market it. I do ah, no, put it I on know, Twitter and Facebook at least, if that counts as marketing. That's not marketing. <laughs> All right, I'm buying a billboard this week. <laughs> you soup? gotta tell your friends and family and, and rate us. I'm sorry. What? What, what were you gonna say? Soup. That's the billboard, right? And that's like soup. We were gonna do like that's Snapchat, there. did in Atlanta, right? And uh, yeah. Just like just the billboard with the can of soup on it, but somehow they'll know it's thinking religion. Well, you know, it's it's Warhol, right? So you you take you appropriate that thing that has no connection with your brand, but all of a sudden you see a can of Campbell's soup now, and you think of Warhol, right? Yeah. There's a great photo of him actually buying the soup in a grocery store, and um, there's also evidently um. No photos of Ted Cruz buying soup in a, in a grocery store because he had to take it back. <laughs> uh, have we started, by the way? I, I don't know. Have we? I don't know. Have you been recording this? <laughs> yes, of course I have. <laughs> okay, great. All right, let's just go into it. You've been listening to <laughs> Thinking Religion. Uh, I'm Thomas Whitley. Soup. Joined by, I'm Sam Harrelson. I'm sorry. Joined by Sam Harrelson. Um, hashtag soup. Hashtag That's soup. your hashtag. Yeah. Thinking soup. So this is, of all... The crazy stories that this election cycle has brought us. And there have been a lot of crazy stories from this election cycle. I don't think we've had one crazier than this Ted Cruz soup story. Right? I mean, can you think of one that's crazy? I can't think of one that's crazier. Okay. And so this comes from his wife, Heidi Cruz, at this um, town hall thing that CNN hosted. I'm just going to read a little bit of excerpt of the transcript. Yeah, I'll say just just read the transcript. <laughs> uh, when I married Ted, we got back from our honeymoon, and he went off to the store and came home by himself. And I was completely shocked to see that he arrived back at our apartment with literally a hundred cans of Campbell's chunky soup. I never bought a hundred of anything. This was shocking to me, so we had a tough conversation about it. I said, you don't buy a hundred of anything, much less canned soup. We can't do this. I'll be making things. <laughs> I love it. We can't do this. <laughs> he said, no, I know you. You won't be making things. Ugh. So the next morning, it was a weekend morning. I loaded up our car before he woke up and returned every single can. And when I got home, I called my mother just to make sure I'd done the right thing as a newlywed. <laughs> and she emphatically disagreed with me. Why did you marry Ted? So when Ted opened the pantry, I had to quickly tell him that I would go back and buy those cans again. Wow. So she she took them all back. Okay, so I'm I'm trying to imagine this. And I'm I'm assuming she takes them all back to the same grocery store. If I'm at our local Bilo and someone buys a 100 cans of soup in front of me, I'm going to be very upset. Right, but then think of think all about, the salt. Like, oh, oh I mean, the so- oh, God, like, okay, okay, sorry, go ahead. I mean, you see people buy like the the forty eight packs of soup, like at, at Sam's Club. Yeah, you don't see that at Costco because you know Costco is a, l- a little different. 
but yeah, yeah, at Sam's Club, you see like the the tubs of mustard and ketchup and stuff. Um, but I don't. I mean, I guess he bought them like in individual cans and had them in big bags or something. I'm just trying to imagine the logistics, and then to take them all out, put it, put them in boxes, I assume. And she said they were they were in a in an apartment, so maybe not even the first right, floor, so right? Like carry like lug- <laughs> How many trips does it take to carry exactly. hundred cans of soup up the stairs? Right, right. So in the in the comments on on the Gawker piece, there's some funny conversations about the uh, the weight of all of this. <laughs> <laughs> one person figured out it weighs 117 pounds, and uh, exactly the weight of um, a person who would be the same age as Ted Cruz's daughter now, which makes you know in in uh, convertible truth that you know Ted Cruz's daughter is actually made out of soup. <laughs> that was enjoyable. Um, but yeah, so so to return them, you know, is one thing. And then the very next morning to go back and buy all of that soup again, even if it was just 75 cans instead of 100 cans. I mean, this is hours of work and they're newlyweds. Okay. But, okay, so there's that. There's the logistical aspect of it. Blows my mind. But what's even crazier is, like, okay, who thinks, okay, this tells you, I don't know, like this might be the clearest but also cloudiest picture we have into Ted Cruz. Like the person, yeah, like into his mind, right? Okay, who buys a hundred cans of soup, and who does it? Apparently, with the motivation of my wife's not going to cook anything, and so we're going to eat soup every day for the next three months. I wonder if his college roommate from Princeton, who's very active on Twitter, has any input the input into that. about his. Uh, love for soup just like his love for stimulating his own genitals and so then he said (laughs) we'll get to that later maybe (laughs) maybe right i don't know so he's i know you you won't be making anything that's so terrible don't tell your newlywed don't tell your wife that period don't tell your newlywed and then her mom disagrees with her like this is but this is like this kind of gets i'm I have, I have no idea about Heidi Cruz or her mother or anything, but interesting, right? What it made me think of was this kind of um, the kind of subculture in which some of us grew up where like the wife just does whatever the husband says, like the husband's the head of the household. He has the final say. So if he says, yep. honey, go back and buy a hundred cans of soup, then damn it. You go back and you buy a hundred cans of soup. Yeah. I mean, your, your own logic be damned. This is Hey Mariana. <laughs> Go buy a hundred cans of soup. I mean, this this little vignette is I don't know, it's amazing. Like, but think about it, like some people want this guy to be the president. I know that's you know, and it's not a small portion of people. I mean, yeah, he's he's racking up. But you know, on the other hand, you have Donald Trump, so who's well, we'll talk about his predilections later, but um but I think between the the soup thing and then what the glimpses we've seen from Ted Cruz about um, like like his love of of movies? Have you have you seen his ability to to recite entire uh, sections of like um, what was it the other day I saw? Um, not history of the world, but some like a like a you know fan cult movie, yeah. and he was able to recite this whole oh Princess Bride oh okay yeah which is. You know, it's a funny movie. I saw it. I watched it in college a couple of times as well. But, uh, you know, as I'm getting older, I wouldn't consider that a movie where I'd want to memorize whole paragraphs or, you know, or have them in my memory bank. You know, I might purge that for some other 
information. Like something from Dead Poet Society. Yeah, right. Because you know, carpe diem. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Ted was like reacting, you know, reenacting this whole scene, and uh, it's it's very strange. And he gets very passionate about yeah, it. Yeah. So, so like a line here and a line there. I don't mean straight. I, I'm, I'm not picking on people who can recite movies. Let me just say that. And I'm not knocking his taste. No, there, and, so there's a lot of times I I wish that I, you know, I, w- I know some lines. I wish I knew like a full scene or something like that. So yeah, but it is it's an interesting skill to have, right? I'll, yeah, my say thing like is, a line uh, here and line there. Like we'll you know we'll say we'll trade lines back and forth sometimes, right? Um, yeah. But. We don't like I don't know. I've, got the whole, I've got the whole movie of uh, Jerry Maguire memorized. I can <laughs> yeah. pretty much pretty much go word for word on that one. There was a great episode of The Office where uh, two of the characters, or one of the characters, is able to recite all the uh, all the lines from Die Hard. Oh yeah, and another character had never seen it, so he basically like <laughs> recites the movie for her, <laughs> and uh, it's pretty funny. Um, I don't know. I mean, so to to be at this point. In your professional life where you decide at a relatively young age, I mean, he's he's not an older man. He's not, you know, Bernie Sanders age Um, to be at this point in your life where you've, you know, you've become a United States senator after a successful career as a solicitor. Um, And, you know, before that, he worked with Rehnquist on the Supreme Court. So, you know, clearly he's a very intelligent guy. Oh, yeah. Um, but to be at this point where he's he's only what like fifty four or something, and to say I'm going to run for president, and to stick with it this long in a season where it's been so contested, it just shows a certain amount of not self hatred or self awareness, but just just kind of a little bit of insanity. I mean, you you've got to be borderline, you know, completely narcissistic to run for for something like president. You know, we all want to be president in some way, sure, but to put that together. And to, to stick with it and to make that a career goal like that, like that's, yeah. you know, he's not he's not sort of saying, oh, well, I'm going to be president because I've done my 30 years of public service or because I was a, you know, a successful attorney for this you know amount of time. And I'm getting into my silver years and I want to give back, you know, like this is an ambition. Right. And Caesar was ambitious, as Anthony <laughs> <laughs> tells us. So I don't know. I, I think it's that that's always my trepidation about people who run for office that young, you know, whether it's Clinton or Obama or, mm-hmm. um, you know, John Edwards, uh, you know, there's that double edged sword, uh, that often accompanies that psychology of, uh, wanting to be president when you're 40, 45. Yeah. I mean, it's something, it's something to think about, but I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know how you deal with that. Like, because of the same, you know, the kind of other way is like, what you also don't like is the idea that it's like Hillary's turn, you know, or somebody's right, turn right. because they've like okay. done their time. Well, like that uh, didn't necessarily mean that we should just give it to you or whatever. Right. This, so there's kind of different ways of looking at it, but I mean, anybody, I think regardless of your age, you have to be a, a really interesting particular type of person to say, I'm going to run for president and, you know, on a large scale, not like we see some, some candidates doing, but you know, I'm going to run for president and I'm going to try to be the leader of this country. Um, that's, I don't know. Yeah. I think that's what makes all this so shocking because, you know, uh, yes, things in, in the past of presidential candidates have always come up, whether it's John Edwards or going back to Clinton or going back to Ronald Reagan being an actor and, you know, Nixon's background and the Kennedys, and, you know, on and on and on. Um, but 
the way that news disseminates now so much quicker than it did in the newspaper age or even the television age, especially the radio age, uh, you know, we don't have that filter of a Dan Rather or a Walter Cronkite to kind of boil it down or either say, well, that's interesting, but we're not going to we're not going to put that in print because that's not really, um, you know, up to snuff right. in the New York Times. Right. Yeah. But so yeah, this, so, is, this would have been a non story, you know, 30, 40 years ago, except that it's his wife that tells the story. And, oh, and that's another Which thing, you know, so, yeah, like, but, but, it, you know, the, the role of the first lady has really changed a great deal. And, and a lot of that was thanks to Hillary Clinton. Right, right, right. Uh, so, okay. But, but here's my question. Okay. So we understand politics well enough to understand how choreographed all of this is, right? What's the calculation that goes into, this is a good story to tell about Ted Cruz? Yeah, I know. Cause it, the whole point is it, it was a, a, a town hall. And they were telling stories to make them more approachable. Right. Is the idea. That's so she generally was to what you want to do when you tell these like family stories, these little vignettes. You want you want people to think like, oh, it's, you know, it's kind of just like me. Like, oh yeah, they've had some, you know, crazy, like insane, you know, arguments in their marriage, like we have, or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I think she was playing into that thing that you were talking about because Ted Cruz is not talking to the mainstream even now. You know, he's talking to conservative, right, right, you know, right, perhaps yeah. evangelical voters who grow up and who live in a male-dominated, you know, white male-dominated right. heterosexual situation, right? Um, so she's identifying with those women who she wants to go vote for Ted Cruz right. and say, "Hey, you know, sister, I feel your, I feel your pain and your struggles." And even though we have a bajillion dollars and you have, you know, four hundred dollars in the bank account. Right. I know about, you know, God, we had to go buy that soup. So maybe, maybe that's what it is, right? Maybe maybe that's her, like, dog whistle to these, you know, infamous suburban women. Totally, totally, right? totally, totally. And yeah. where, so, like, what she's really saying is, look at the crazy shit I've had to do. Like, I know what yeah, you're going exactly. through. Yeah. Yeah, you think maybe your husband's crazy? <laughs> you know, even Ted, you know, so you, you can identify with us. And that's the thing. I mean, we're not uh, electing just one person running for president anymore. You know, we're, we're electing the the package deal so we want a couple and you know i don't know if a single male or female or or lesbian or or gay or you know whatever uh could could run for president at this point um you know let alone for being elected but we want a, a male and a female who represent kind of what's best of america i'm not saying we as an i right. buy into this right. but this is what it feels like this election cycle perhaps and i think some of that really started with the clintons and then we had, uh, you know, George and Laura, who I, I really like Laura Bush. But, you know, she was a well-spoken, educated, um, you know, very sociable person. And then we had Michelle, who's amazing, you know, probably the most, uh, you know, sort of a public and, and I, I would say liked first lady since maybe so. Jackie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I would think so. I mean, so she's too. kind of the modern Jackie. Yeah. Right. And we'll, we'll look back on this period and, and we'll certainly remember her just as much as we remember uh, Brock. Um or President Obama, I should Barry. say. So, <laughs> so when uh, in, in this cycle, it, it's like the Republicans are, are running candidates as package deals with their spouses and trying to show kind of the anti-Obama, right? So it's like, right. no, no, we're conservative and we we get those family values that you have. And you know, Cruz is I'm against the tra uh, transsexual bathroom. I'm I'm for the bathroom bill in, in North Carolina. You know, it's it's those, like you said, dog whistles that they keep throwing out to more conservative uh, voters because they, you know, that's the base of this election so far. Or that's the way they're getting the most the most play, I would say. 
and, and I think and I think Cruz also is, is and his wife Heidi right yeah. are trying to play off of that I would say conservative uneasiness with Trump in terms of his marital situations you know he's oh, yeah. been divorced a number of times and now he's married to this beautiful model and you know it's it's that doesn't fit the Ronald Nancy Reagan stereotype so Ted is you know kind of bringing that to the table as well and saying yeah you really want this guy with with the wife who's posed in Maxim you know and she's she's shown her butt before that's that's not something we want in the White House is it so I think yeah. it's a lot of that yeah and I think I think you're absolutely right actually I I had not thought of this kind of dog whistle conservative angle um when I initially read the story it I I, I think that's yeah I think that's spot on actually She's she's subtweeting us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's sending signals, and it, it's right. those women who, uh, you know, whether they have to listen to everything their husband says, and when he says, "Go get me some chunky soup," you know, she runs to the store. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ollie Williams, Family Guy. Uh, do you do you watch Family Guy no, at all? No. Oh God. <laughs> There's a, a news reporter who's African American. Um, it's called the. It, it's a play on stereotypes in the news but it's called the blacky weather forecast and they also have asian reporter uh, trisha takanawa and ollie williams uh, is in this one skit where it's raining and his umbrella is blown away and they said oh no well, what can we bring you and he says soup <laughs> he said what kind of soup and he says chunky so um every time i hear ted cruz's love of chunky soup i think of ollie williams but um i, I think she's playing exactly into that conservative christian female idea of I run the household, I buy the soup, I have to deal with my husband's craziness, my kid's uh, craziness. And it's a lot, you know, even this kind of absurd stuff. But, I, you know, I pull it all together because I'm a, I'm a good, loving uh, wife and I'm just like you. And I love Jesus. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> um, so we deconstructed we that We did pretty deconstruct well. that pretty well. And actually maybe learn as much or more about her than, as Ted Cruz. Man, she... Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't want to overexamine someone who's, you know, not signed up for that. But I mean, she kind of oh, has she running, has, yeah. running for that. But wow, there's, I think there are some issues there that, if he gets close to the nomination or close to the general, then uh, that's going to be really tricky for people not to overstep lines. Yeah, because right. It, I mean, and they've already just, started. So I, I yeah, I mean, who knows? Yeah, you know, we're not going to go into it, but yeah, particularly without it's going to and it'll come from outside groups. But it, I oh guess, yeah, I agree yeah. absolutely. Um, so do we talk about we've talked about Ted Cruz as a fan of soup? Do we talk about what he's not a fan of? <laughs> the brief insists, insisted that Texas, in order to protect quote public morals, had police power interest in discouraging. <laughs> I can't say the word interest in sexual gratification combating the commercial sale of sex and protecting minors there was a government interest it maintained in discouraging autonomous sex which is my new favorite hashtag autonomous sex <laughs> or masturbation uh, the brief compared to the brief compared the use of sex toys to hiring a willing prostitute or engaging in, in consensual bigamy and it equated advertising these project, uh, products with the commercial promotion of prostitution. And perhaps the most noticeable line of the brief, Cruz's office declared 
and he was, you know, you can say all oh, the office, but no, Cruz was the solicitor here, right. and he, you know, everything that comes out comes through him. His office declared, quote, and this blows my mind, there is no substantive due process right to stimulate one's genitals for non-medical purposes unrelated to procreation or outside of an interpersonal relationship. Wow. That is, the pursuit of such happiness had no constitutional standing. <laughs> so if you touch yourself, you're breaking the Constitution. And not only are you going to make Jesus cry, and oh. you're wasting you know, your sperm because every sperm is sacred. But this has to do with women mostly because it's about dildos right. and, and sex right. toys. I'm using that word dildo not in a derogatory sense. And I'm, I'm, I apologize if you're offended by that. But that's kind of the, the thrust, right. so, if you will, of this argument. <laughs> I had to do that. Okay. Well done. Well done. Well done. Yay. Um, all right. So <laughs> the idea is that he had to defend, as solicitor, he had to defend the laws that legislature passed. And there was a. Uh, a ban on promoting the sale of sex toys and his office sent in a brief defending that. And this is from that brief, but yeah, kind of the most amazing part is, is the line toward the end there. There's no substantive due process right to stimulate one's genitals for non-medical purposes, unrelated to procreation or outside of an interpersonal relationship. And so what the, the author of the article is saying is the pursuit of happiness, Right this kind of um, autonomous sexual happiness has no constitutional standing, apparently, right? It's the idea. So, I mean, it, it is, it's kind of amazing, but, you know, the one of the first things I thought was this is, it's, a, it's another great example of how government want people, how some people want government to do their bidding, right? And a lot of people do on all sides of all aisles, but it's kind of amazing that you hear all this talk about, um, you know, getting the government out of our lives and things like that from a lot of Republicans. And then you have Ted Cruz, for instance, right, who is saying this stuff, having written and put his name on a brief that said, you don't have the right to stimulate yourself sexually because you're not trying to procreate and you're not doing it with another person. Like, right. It, it's right. kind of amazing this, like, how far into the bedroom they want to come. Right. It's not just saying you can't have sex with someone of the same gender or you can't, you know, you can't have sex with an animal or something like that. I mean, that's, you know, that's one thing. You know, you can't do this act in this place. Right. Basically, I'm not equating people having, you know, gay sex with, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, with that. Kind of, I'm just various saying, other, know, yeah. They're, they're legislating the act, right? In this case, the, Cruz was espousing as solicitor of the great state of Texas, which is not a small job. You know, like this is a major, right. <laughs> you know, the, the solicitor here in South Carolina is at the end of his career. And this is a, a major position to hold. So to advocate this kind of just nonsense after working with someone like William Rehnquist, who was very small government, you know, minded and very, you know, real conservative, if, if you want to use that label. But this this type of overreach just signals to me such a dangerous, dangerous man <laughs> or just worldview. You know, it's 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 astonishing. It really is to say that there's no do right process or do uh, process right to do something like that. You know, it's, it's like saying uh, you don't have a due process right to breathe. Or don't step on the cracks because you'll break your mama's back. 
I mean, we're, well, but so I think, um, uh, and, and how terrible is this for young people to hear? I mean, good God, <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, this is so damaging. Well, I mean, I and, and luckily I didn't get the read, but still, geez. Right. I, I think that's, I think that's right. We've talked about this. Um, I think some on the show, but particularly within some, uh, some circles, some conservative circles, the way that sex is talked about, the way it is under, you know, treated as very taboo and, and it's always, always, always bad and negative and negative. And then you're supposed to marry a hot woman, you know, and get talk about how hot your wife is. And then the sex will be great. Like all of a sudden amazing. Um, and you'll not have any issues. Um, and if you have like had sex, that's bad. And, but it's okay. You can like pray and Jesus will make you a virgin again or something. Right. However that works. Like, you know, little like imaginary Jesus, like whatever. Uh, I'm not going to go into any of that because there's all these other myths too. But I think I might know why Ted Cruz was so against female masturbation. Uh, do you tell? It's because there are such things as sex demons. <laughs> Well, well done. Well played. And the danger in masturbating is that one could inadvertently summon a sex demon to attach itself to you through the act of masturbating. And once that demon attaches, it is difficult to get it to leave. It will drive you to masturbate, even when you don't want to. You'll be hit with urges to play with yourself so powerful that only an orgasm will allow you some temporary relief. So Ted <laughs> so Cruz I, is I, trying to protect <laughs> us from the sex demons. Open a portal to hell. I have, I have poison ivy all over my arms because I was working in our yard this weekend and uh, it, it itches all the time and I get temporary relief by <laughs> scratching that itch. <laughs> so I'm going to blame this on, uh, I forgot the, the type of oil that produces poison ivy reactions, but uh, you know, poison ivy demons because evidently that's the type of world we live in now where uh, you know, you can, you can say it's succubus and incubus that are, that are causing our nightly emissions or whatever. Laurel. So this is by a pastor on Facebook, right? Yeah, it's, it's on this website called Eden Decoded. Um, I don't know. <laughs> there you go. With a name like yeah, that. There you, <laughs> go. there you go. Yeah, I don't know. I was making the rounds on the internet this, this yeah. week. So it just seems to tie sincere? in quite well to the Ted Cruz ban on dildos stories. So. It, it does. Well, it's, like you said, it's that, it's that worldview. And it's that underlying, you know, it, you don't hear it as much these days because of things like, you know, Twitter and Facebook. And we, we don't all hear one message anymore from, you know, a church or whatever. And, you know, we have streams of different messaging, thankfully now that we have to sift through. But, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, there was, at least from the, the conservative Southern Baptist church where I, where I was, and there was a very strong message about things like masturbation and sex. And, you know, we didn't talk about, you know, the varieties of sex, but, right. you know, it was like, uh, you know, Jesus doesn't want you to do that. And if you do that, something bad might happen. Um, so I had an interesting question from a student because I mean I'm teaching this semester on sex and sexuality in early Christianity so obviously we talked about uh, the Ted Cruz stuff um, and this kind of idea that you know a lot of you know a lot of um, Christians have that like masturbation is bad for you and you know he, so my student was asking well, kind of where does this idea come from and the best uh, 
answer I could offer, and I don't know if you have a better one, was that I would assume it would be somehow attached to the antitheses that we find in, uh, I think, Matthew 5, right, where Jesus says, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that if you even lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery. And so the idea is that, like, well, you can't masturbate without lusting, so there you go, it's bad. Well, and, you know, there's that, and, the, the, you know, back, but then, then remember Jimmy Carter... Yeah, I remember Jimmy Carter with the Playboy interview, and he said, "I've, you know, I've committed adultery in my heart because I've seen pictures of women and I've lusted after them." Right. You know, so yeah, there's that. But it, you know, I would even point back to things like, uh, you know, from reception history. But you know, if you want to find the biblical basis of it, you know, you can get back to Leviticus, and I forgot the the verse, but it's you know, if you're masturbating, you're spilling your seed, basically. Um, or the story of Onan, right? And so Onan, Onan, right? Right there, you go. Yeah, which. Yeah. Maybe in Genesis, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was Genesis. Yeah, you're right. I, sorry, yeah. I thought there was so. Yeah, there's bit... that, right? But oh, it <clears throat> might be. It might be. We should check. But I, I think culturally, um, you know, most of that comes out of, uh, you know, as early Christianities were evolving out of Hellenistic culture, we get, and I'm speaking very broad terms. I know. Email Thomas. <laughs> Thomas at thinking out of him. Uh, I, you know, we, we get this reaction to things like, you know, the quote paganism um, of the day. And, and you get that strand kind of, of of the conservative, I mean, conservative is not the right word, of you know, kind of puritanical type stuff. But at least here in the United States, I, I really think most of it comes from the Puritans. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I do think, so if you're thinking of like late antique Christianity, um, I don't know, third, fourth, fifth, sixth century um, you do have, I mean, it becomes a fairly prominent view among a lot of, a lot of kind of church lead, male church leaders and preachers that essentially sex should pretty much only be for procreation. Right. Um, and not everyone holds that view, but it is a fairly prominent view. And it seems like that has, you know, kind of been held onto, um, mm-hmm. even if people don't, I think a lot of people when kind of pressed, might say, no, I don't really think it should only be for procreation, but like that's still kind of the idea is kind of still there in the back of their minds. I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's definitely, at least here in the South, part of the cultural milieu, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, about even living together before you're married, you know, because the assumption is, well, if you're going to be in the same bed or if you're going to be in the same house, <clears throat> then, you know, clearly you're having sex. Um, so, you know, you got to be married before you live together. And, right. and that's, still a huge deal for a lot of families um, yeah actually florida just um uh, just overturned our law that we had on the books for like 150 years against cohabitating so i have a lot of friends that are rejoicing that they're not breaking the law now in florida <laughs> i was gonna say yeah i've been there done that but um you know it's it's that idea of of taking sex and turning it into something that should be controlled and and legislated either by a state government or by uh the church because people can't be trusted with it clearly you know, right. And if we try to let people do their own thing, then they're going to make mistakes. And, you know, it's easier for the church to or the state government to tell people how to do things and what to do and when not to do it. It is. Um, it is such a such a powerful um, like means of control. Right. If you can control someone's sex life. Oh, yeah. Um, and obviously, like this is what men have been doing for you know, to women for ever basically is trying to control their sex life. Right. So kind of all the, I mean, this is kind of problematic in this class that I'm teaching is we're trying to 
get all this information and, you know, how do various groups think about sex, you know, and sexuality and desire and early Christianity. And so much of what we have is just like men writing to women, telling them that they should be virgins. And it's like, yeah, like right. you, how, who are you to kind of say like what I should be doing with my body? Um, so, but that's not the ancient world. I mean, we see that today oh, coming yeah. out of Lifeway. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, how many pamphlets in the Southern Baptist Church are written by you know white males who are sixty and right. you know maybe a little perverted that they're even thinking about these things? I mean, I don't want to you know slander anyone, but I think it's peculiar that uh, a church culture would be so heavily invested in something like yeah, you know, writing the uh, the sexuality stuff in. There's sex demons, man. God, that's the problem. Yeah, don't don't get me started on the technology and stuff. With, <laughs> but you know, if if we use Snapchat, our youth minister might send a you know picture of his genitals to one of our right. youth. Yeah, can't do that. It's like first of all, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. <laughs> okay, okay, we'll just move on from that. But it, it's interesting though, because it, uh, you know you talked about the in the ancient world and sort of the you know the male dominance of of the power power relationship about sex and you know the, the more and more we figure out about early uh, sort of that you know weird transition between the hunter-gatherer period going into you know us raising grain and brewing beer you know on the Nile it seems like we that's when that power situation really started occurring and you know as we settled down into more and more urban areas um where we had something like a centralized living uh, situation, and then we had, you know, maybe a, a temple or or some sort of place of you know religious worship, and we had a market, and all of a sudden we start having gender roles that define, you know, how those interpersonal relations happen, and you know, we, I mean, we'll never be able to know for sure, but it's just fascinating to see that that perceived transition away from you know, kind of a, a more natural state into that urbanized idea that we're, I think we're still trying to realize or trying to, you know, steadily hang on to, but also improve upon. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't go outside without your pants on. Well, or, I mean, you, you can, but it's not going to go well. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, okay. So I guess enough about Ted Cruz and sex. Um, well, speaking of Onan, <laughs> In the Bible. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, um, Donald Trump said his favorite Bible uh, teaching is an eye for an eye. So a little bit of backstory, right, is that, I mean, God, was this last year already? I mean, this campaign has been so long. Um, <laughs> right when he was on stage yes. and he was asked about his favorite Bible verse, he's like, basically, he said, well, that's kind of too personal. I don't I don't want to talk about that, which was an obvious <laughs> answer. Is like, I don't know. Nobody like okay. I, I can tell you this. Nobody that has a favorite Bible verse is unwilling to tell you what their favorite. Bible verse is. <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah, I will put but, my flag in the ground on that one. And who can't pull out John three sixteen, or just say Mark five eight? You know, just come up with two numbers and throw them together. <laughs> right. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> hate your family. I don't know. And Jesus webs. Yeah. Um. Or actually, it's an heiress there, so we should say, you know, Jesus, you know, began. Uh, I know. Right. Whatever. Um. So. Yeah, I mean, it's like. Just I don't know how like just culturally unaware you have to be to not be able to come up with something besides eye for an eye. 
right? I mean, you have to know well, other things that are in the Bible. I think he was trying to figure out something he could say where he could segue into that point he was making about strength. Maybe, yeah. So let's let's. Do you want to do you want to do kind of a, a, a um, an interactive reading of his response to this question about is there you know a Bible verse that's your favorite or that has you know kind of meant a lot in your life? He says, uh, well, I think many. I mean, when we get into the Bible, I think many, so many, <laughs> which right there is a sign of, I know he's speaking, but if you're running for no, president. He's fishing. He's, fishing. Like he, he, he's like, you know, pulling the curtains back. He's like, hurry up, help. I need a Bible verse. Any Bible verse will do. It doesn't matter. Just give me a verse. Well, I think many. I mean, when we get into the Bible, I think many, so many. And some people, look, an eye for an eye. You can almost say that. <laughs> almost. almost. That's not a particularly nice thing. But you know, if you look at what's happening to our country, I mean, when you see what's going on with our country, Thomas, do you see what's going on with our country? I see. How people are taking advantage of us and how they scoff at us and laugh at us. He just finishes the sentence there. New <laughs> sentence. And they laugh at our face, and they're taking our jobs, and they're taking our money, and they're taking the health of our country. Period. <laughs> that, that just makes no we, sense. We have to be firm, and we have to be and have, to, we be have strong, to be firm. We can learn a lot Bruce. from the Bible. That I can tell you. Oh. All right, so I think he's also, you know, doing the dog whistle. You know, he's he's transitioning. He's saying eye for an eye. We'll stick a boot up your ass because we're the USA. Toby That's Keith. American way. Yep. Right. You know, let freedom ring. Um, you know, it's judgment day kind of a thing. So you got that. So he's reaching out to the Toby Keith voters. But also he's trying to, you know, reaffirm those people who are angry and wanting to vent. But they know it's not politi uh, politically correct to say what they are thinking. Because they saw the Hispanic guy take their job, or they, you know, didn't get the promotion because of the black guy got the promotion over them, or they feel like people are picking on them because of their their prayer before the NASCAR race was insane. So I think he's trying to say, you know, hey, look, even this stuff is in the Bible, and it's okay to be mad. It's, it's sometimes you get you got to be strong, and you know they're going to scoff at you, but you know, be firm, be strong, and uh, just remember that. You know, we can do this. We can make America great again. So, you know, I, th I think it's a psychological thing that he's trying to do. He doesn't do it very well. Right. Maybe he does. But I, I think that's kind Maybe of Maybe does. Um, so, I, th I think two things. Okay. One comment that I saw on Twitter, I think is right. And and basically it said <clears throat> he, you know, the, the person thought that he was fishing here and it was just the, it was the only verse he could come up with. And I think that might be the best explanation here. Um, that... He he just doesn't know the Bible that well, which is obvious. I mean, like this is not some kind of you know breaking news here, and it's all he could come up with on the spot. Um, so I think that's a really likely uh, explanation. But I, I also think that the point that you're making is, is also accurate insofar as Trump is kind of the embodiment of how people read their worldview into the text, right? I mean, so 
like all he has is he has five words that are from the Bible. So-called from the Bible, right? An eye for an eye. Everything else is these weird filler phrases and performatives. And it's about how, you know, the brown people are taking advantage of us and taking our jobs and we got to be strong. Right. So, so this whole paragraph that's ostensibly an answer to what's your favorite Bible verse and five words out of this whole paragraph is actually related to answering that. And it's instead, you know, to make this larger point that he's trying to make. So I think you're right on, on, on that point. But I also think that, that this gets to how a lot of people read the Bible. Right. Yeah. And that they see the world this way. And, you know, we've, we've been talking about it, right. Having a canon within a canon and all of these things, um, that when they look at the world this way, they think, yeah, Hey, we've got to be strong. Right. And, and we've got to, you know, an eye for an eye or whatever it is, we got to wipe them out of our land because this is, you know, the promised land that God has promised to us, um, or, or whatever, you know, whatever it is. And I think people on all sides of all aisles are doing this too, in different ways. Um, but it's, it's kind of fascinating to look at Trump as kind of the embodiment of um, how your own situation gets read into a text and, and how that influences how you read it and interpret it. Yeah, it, it's it's that, I, I think, plus this idea that the Bible is a set-in-stone thing. Yeah. And, right, so it's, it's you know, objective truth. And everything in there is meaningful and, and right. So even though Jesus says in Matthew 5, hey, you know, you might have heard some people like Donald Trump say an eye for an eye, but I say, you know, you should never um, withdraw from someone wishing to do you evil. And, you know, if they hit one cheek, turn the other cheek. And it's it's fascinating to think that something that Jesus rebukes <laughs> from the Old Testament would be cited as, you know, the favorite Bible verse of someone who a lot of conservative Christians say is the best Jesus man for the job. You know, so there's there's that, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, if I, I don't, I'm not saying the New Testament is better than the Old Testament or, or refutes it, but in this case, someone who is Donald Trump, who has claimed to be a conservative evangelical Christian, who has had his hands, or had hands laid upon him by all these evangelical leaders, you know, you would think that would be a little more nuanced. Um, there's lots of other quotes you can use if you're just trying to play the power card <laughs> from the Bible. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that that whole canon and, and context and, and eisegesis uh, thing is, is so fascinating, especially in this election. All right, so let's think about this. for Let's have a little thought exercise. What... What verses could we realistically, if, if Donald Trump knew the Bible well, what verses do we realistically think he could say that would actually fit his brand? And that, right, because you know, uh, an obvious one might be to you know go with uh, you know what Jesus says in John. You know, they will know you by your love for one another. Donald yeah. Trump's never going to say that one, right? No. Okay, that's not his. That's not who he is. I was, I was going to say something from the conquest, like from the early Deuteronomistic history, or either, you know, something from Revelation when you've got the the rider on the pale horse. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, yeah, yeah, I think something out of Joshua, maybe. Maybe, Judges. maybe. I'm trying to remember. I don't. I don't remember. I could be wrong. I, I mean, it's. I only have a PhD in this, but I don't remember Jesus saying, "You know, I'm going to win so much, you're going to get tired of winning." <laughs> but can we think of a verse? Well, that, clearly, that's what Judas thought. Can we think of a verse that, like, maybe sounds like that? How about How about as for me and my home, we will worship the Lord. Out of Joshua. Out of, oh, everybody loves that one, right? Every, it's on the doormats. Signs, doormats, yeah, yard it's signs. Over, it's over the lentil. Yeah, yeah. I think that that might be a good one. Um, I'm trying to think because you because you want to you want to get something that everyone knows, but you want to get something that's kind of clever, right? So when Hillary Clinton pulled out, you know, the Wesleyan prayer, we thought, oh, isn't she such a good Methodist? You know, like she knows she's one of us. Right. She gets it. Yeah. Huh. I see, either, I'm trying to think uh, it maybe has it come from Paul. Right. Yeah. He's it's, just it's as arrogant as Donald Trump, I think. Yeah, he is. So and, and he's he's remaking something that, you know, he, let's make Judaism great again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He's like, we're gonna we're gonna graft in these new people and we're gonna make Judaism great again here. Right. So, ma- That's so maybe my next when book. Paul says in Galatians, um, I wish the knife would slip and you would cash out yourself. <laughs> maybe that would be the first. That would have been an amazing pull. If Donald Trump had done that, I would vote for Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Uh, or I, I mean, t- anything out of two Corinthians, <laughs> anything out of two Corinthians. Side note, uh, I'm listening to Bart Ehrman's new book, um, Jesus Before the Gospels, I believe. And yeah, it's 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 Bart Ehrman. Love him or hate him. It's it's fun to listen to when you're mowing the lawn. Uh, and he's an entertaining writer, but he's not narrating the book. And it's I forgot the guy's name who's narrating it. But it, I was I was going to Sonic last night because more Chick-fil-A. Um, my wife wanted dessert. And I'm driving to, to Chick-fil-A and I'm listening to it at like nine o'clock at night. And the narrator keeps saying one Corinthians and two Corinthians throughout the book. And he's, I heard him this weekend say it. And then on the way to, to Chick-fil-A last night, he said it again. And he said two Corinthians. And I was like, is that a convention that I didn't know about? Because, I, you know, I died a little bit inside hearing that. It was like, where's the editor? And, and he keeps mispronouncing like right. random names. Right. Um, you know, Ephesus is Ephesus. Oh, come on. Like, it's, Whoa. yeah. Wow. <laughs> or Colossi. Um, anyway, so side note, but going back to yeah. subtext. Um, yeah, so, uh, I don't know, what, what else? Any other good ones? I think yeah, something, yeah, it would have to be out of Paul. You're right. And I would say something out of Romans or, or, or Corinthians. Or maybe even Ephesians. There's some good stuff in Ephesians that's, but it's a little dense for him. Um, Paul didn't write it, but it comes out of the Paul. It, but that would have been perfect. He would have said, you know, as Paul wrote in Colossians. And, you know, people who know the Bible would say, oh, don't say that. <laughs> right. But, you know, or Second Timothy. Yeah. Or so I'm thinking, too, about the story in Second Kings where Elisha calls out like he's getting taunted and he's bald and he's getting taunted by this group of kids <laughs> bear. right and he calls it's out a, a she-bear a she-bear from the woods and is that 12 22 and has the she-bear maul these like 25 kids yes elisha she-bear i think it's if you've never read uh and you probably have if you're listening to this no it's 223 through 24 Elijah is jeered. Elijah or Elisha? Elisha. Elisha, yeah. S-H, not J-A-H. Right, easy, right. Easy to confuse. Yeah, his his uh, his protege, if you will, his Luke Skywalker. Uh, Elijah's Luke Skywalker. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel 
As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy. <laughs> it's probably my favorite Bible verse. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. I mean, in this case, Yahweh. Uh, the two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. Period. Period. <laughs> Next stop. <laughs> yeah, we killed 42 boys because they were laughing at our bald prophet. That I mean, that's there you go. That's all you need. Right? I mean, Second right? Kings you got to teach them. They're coming in here and they're, this is what he said, and they laugh at our face and they're taking our jobs. They're taking so we're going to call down a curse from God. We're going to yeah. call out she bears to maul these people. That's, I think that's it. That might be, I'm going to go with that. I like, yeah, that's a good yeah. one. It's something, or, or either something pro Israel, even, you know, like I could see him pulling something from the conquest narratives right. where, you know, the land is promised to, uh, to Joshua or, or, you know, even Moses. I don't know. That's a, that's a fun thought exercise. It is. That is. We talked a while back and I guess it's still completely like relevant, but we haven't done it yet about essentially doing like Donald Trump's new Testament, right? Like rewriting portions of the Bible as Donald Trump would say them. So maybe we still should. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of what we're getting at a little bit here, but yeah, I know that that would be uh, so it's sort of like the message, but in Donald Trump's voice, right. yeah. <laughs> so, so in Matthew five, when Jesus says, "Turn the other cheek," in this case, it would be. What? Is that all you like, got? <laughs> sue them. Uh, right, <laughs> turn yeah. turn the other check. <laughs> Man, here we are. Here we are in twenty sixteen. Who would have thought that? It, and the people that the people that subscribe to it, I, I yeah, I do think we have to kind of just sit and take a few minutes to like soak it all in. I mean, this is weird. But this is just an ins- I mean, and the you know what they're talking about with the conventions and everything. I mean, it's just. I mean, I'm in heaven. I know you are. Like, it's every political junkie's dream to have a year like this. But it's it's we're like so deep in the rabbit hole now. You know, we're we're so far through the looking glass that. Like we need to come up for area every now and then and look around and be like, this is real. Yeah. Ted Cruz bought a hundred cans of chunky <laughs> soup for real. Ding. We need a bell. That was fun. I'm growing my beard back out. That's great. I mean, this is, uh, I think this is, this is great news, but you know, it's, um, you probably shouldn't, it's probably a bad time to do that because it's just a trend and we're going down on the trend now. <laughs> you know, we've only had beards since we evolved <laughs> you know, for like 5,000 years. Well, it, well I mean, but you know, well, yeah, we were great apes once. Right. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I wonder I mean, because we even in the Roman Empire, we see the ebb and flow of beards on, you know, emperor portraits and, you know, statues. So it's right. fascinating to to see that kind of ebb and flow of of the popularity of the beard every twenty or thirty years right. here in the United States, and we think that's this monumental change. Every you know, everyone's going to grow a beard, and it's like, well, if you look back 
you know, throughout history, there have been periods of hundreds of years where <laughs> the beard was important and then the beard went away for a little bit, you know, among the the people who had enough money to get painted right. or get their statues made. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, uh, and it's also interesting to think of like, so kind of in the Roman period, if you're thinking about like, you know, pederasty and stuff like that, it was like once a, uh, you know, a young male started to grow a beard, he could no longer be engaged in a, uh, in a relationship of that manner. Um, because he was, oh, really? he was like manly now. Um, oh, I didn't realize that. So once he had stuff, so also then if you couldn't grow a beard, which some guys can't, right? They don't just they just don't have very much facial hair or whatever. Um, that was you were seen as more feminine, right? And so it's right. interesting to kind of see the kind of policing of identities, right, and masculinity, uh, and which I think we're seeing the same thing now, right? It's oh no, that's like that's too big and unruly, so that's like lumberjacky, but maybe not in kind of a hot, sexy way. Um, more in kind of like a, maybe a hipster, like patchouli way. And so like, we're not like maybe a big fan of that. Um, you know, but no, you gotta be like clean shaven and that's, you gotta have a good strong jawline and that's really good and masculine and the other stuff. Yeah. You know, so it's like interesting to kind of see also changing the changing ways of how kind of masculinity is policed via what type of facial hair is acceptable. Right. And of course, like men have been policing femininity forever, right? How much hair you can, they, you know, women can have on their bodies and which places are acceptable and which ones aren't and things like that. Yeah. And that's, that's why, um, like David Bowie is so fascinating to me because, you know, before he came out with Ziggy Stardust and what was that 72, 73, you know, there, there were kind of, yeah, we, we had, the guys with the long hair and the beards, you know, the Beatles famous pictures from 1969 yeah. when they all have, you know, the humongous beards or you have people like Robert Plant and Led Zeppelin who had long hair with no beard in the early 70s. And they, you know, starts looking a little different. Then you get Mick Jagger, who never really had long hair, but he always kind of had that saunter to him. Yeah. And you, you thought he's not that masculine. But and then all of a sudden Bowie comes out with Ziggy Stardust and he's this cross-dressing, very feminine figure who wears makeup and, you know, throughout the sort of early mid seventies before he becomes the thin white Duke, you know, boy was very much seen as a gender bending thing. Right. I mean, he sings about bisexuality in 1972 and that's strange. Um, and then in 1988 boy came out with, uh, he had a, a new band and they called themselves 10 machine. Uh, and they were big in England. They never really caught on here, but they put out, I think, yeah, three, you know, pretty decent records. Um, but he, he showed up after doing the sort of 80s Let's Dance period, um, which was uh, just atrocious. And he hated it, too. But <laughs> he came, you know, lots of synthesizers and yeah. you know, the, the labyrinth, David Boyd. Right. So he comes out of that and he comes back out you know, as he constantly does. And he reinvents himself. But he has a beard in 1988 and he's wearing a leather jacket and he looks kind of like a like a George Michaels, but a little more edgy and people are freaked out because David Bowie should not have a beard. You know, he's right. this slim gender bending guy who, you know, he's mainstream, but you know, dudes are kind of like, wow, he's a good looking guy. You know, wait, wait, wait I, I don't mean that way. <laughs> right, <laughs> you yeah. know? And, and all of a sudden he's got a beard and it's like, what? I, I, I was kind of attracted to him and he, you know, kind of gave sanction to being by, you know, bisexual or, or you know, even gay and, and the mainstream in, in some ways. Um, anyway, that's a long story, but I just, I just think it's fascinating 
to even look at that, you know, and, and the idea of celebrity kind of casting, um, you know, the, the way that we determine masculinity, you know, Justin Bieber, right? Right. You know, Justin Bieber's a girl. That was always the, the thing when he was a teenager. And when he came back out of his sort of semi-retirement there, he is kind of emo now, I guess, in a way. But he, he you know, is trying to shed some of that, quote, girly stuff. Um, and, he, you know, she's trying to look a little more traditionally masculine, which is fascinating. Um, anyway, I, I, yeah, I, I often wonder about that. And I'm not completely obsessed with how people perceive me in public, but... You do notice a difference when you have a beard compared to when you don't have a beard. Even I've got like a Paul Ryan like short beard yeah. right now. It's not it's not long yet. Um, but I, I wonder, uh, I don't know, especially with like clients and stuff. I always wonder when I sit down in a meeting like, okay, if I have a beard, what are you thinking about me? You know, <laughs> or I, uh, I had an interview one time with a big firm up in Charlotte and big marketing agency after I moved back over to the East coast. And, uh, we were out to lunch and I, for some reason it was, it was the early two thousands. I had a goatee and hey, I had, I had a goatee for a really long time. Okay. <laughs> <I know you. laughs> After my period. Um, but I love my goatee cause I, I have a pretty good goatee. Yeah. You know, the facial hair comes in even though now it's all gray. Um, but he, he looked at me halfway through the meeting and he said, well, that sounds great. You know, the problem is I said I would never hire someone with a goatee. <laughs> and I was like, are you like, is that a chip? Stupid. Like, what? okay. And uh, he was like, no, I'm not kidding. And I said, yeah, okay. And he was like, would you shave it? And I was like, would I, would I shave my facial hair so that I can get a job with you? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, is this kind of like a test? Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I'd worked with Google and we, we would do those kind of mind games all the time, especially to, yeah. to new applicants. And he said, no, you know, I'm. That's serious. And yeah, he was conservative, dressed, looking white guy in a suit and tie. You know, and I thought, okay, well, I don't think he's kidding. And I said, no, I, I don't I don't think that would be a, a good fit if that's the case. Because that sounds like something you're asking me to do that has nothing to do with my job performance right. or what I could bring to the job. <laughs> it's like, okay. So I thought, well, that was just a test or whatever, you know. And, uh, and you had a very job. <laughs> yeah, great conversation afterwards. <laughs> Got a call back from his boss, the CEO, the next week who I initially talked to and he said, Oh yeah, I was like, yeah, it sounds like everything went well. The only problem is you have a goatee. <laughs> I, was like, yes. I was like, is that your policy too? And he was like, no, no, it's just our COO. And yeah, I'm sorry. And, uh, that's, you know, we're going to have to, you know, pass on you, even though, you know, we would have loved to have you on the team. And by the time I'd actually shaved, cause I thought, yeah, you know, maybe that's, that is a perception, but you know, it's a week later or whatever. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't tell him that, of course, but I just was like, so, hey. right. Because if that's like their mindset, then like, what else do they ask you to do? That's stupid. But, <laughs> right. you know, it's funny because I, I don't ever think about it. Like, how do people perceive me with my facial? Really? You don't think about that? Because I've all like, OK, since my I grew my goatee the summer before ninth grade. OK, and starting ninth grade, the principal in my high school thought I was a new teacher. Okay. <laughs> this is like what I've always lived with. And I had that until just a couple of years ago when, I, well, okay, no, no, no. We'll back up. We'll tell the truth, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. In 10th grade, one of my sister's friends dared me to shave my goatee. And I was like, sure. So I went in and shaved it. And I was like, I hate this. And so I began growing it back and growing it back immediately. And I did. So with the exception of that, whatever two week span that it took to grow my goatee back, I had a goatee from the summer before ninth grade for the next decade and a half. And then 
I said, I'm going to grow a beard. So I, and I had, you know, off and on played around a little bit with like a little bit of stubble, but had never committed to it. So then I grew a beard and, you know, you know what happened then. I grew a really large or fairly, fairly large beard and then said, well, it's been 15 years. I haven't seen my face. So let me see what it looks like. And I shaved it all off in stages and took pictures as you do. And again, said, I hate this. I've got to cover this back up. I began growing my beard back. And so within a few short weeks, had a beard again. And so I've just always had facial hair. So like, it's just who I am in my kind of conception, my self-perception, right? Conception of yeah. who I am. Yeah, that makes so sense. I don't ever think about like, what do people think about me having facial hair? That's true. That makes it. Yeah. Because since I've known you, you've had the, the goatee. Yeah. I mean, and you had a bald head for a while. I did have a bald head, for, head for a while. Yeah. So yeah. I'll probably, and I'll go back to that at some point too, when my hair starts falling out again. <laughs> I know I, I was cutting mine really short because I kind of got tired of the gray hair for a while. And, um, you know, because I, I look like a 70 year old. But it's funny, my, my dad was the same way. And I, I never saw my dad without a beard um, from the time I was very small. So I, you, I would see like his, his wedding picture and he had a mustache. And I thought that was, that was kind of weird. And then uh, there was a little bit of time where he, when I was very young, evidently, where he had shaved. And, he was like, oh my gosh, my dad and I look the exact same, yeah. and that's so strange. Yeah. Um, you know, but but he had this big beard all throughout. I mean, you've seen my yeah. dad before, right? And now I'm getting that same beard, which I hate that kind of <laughs> stringy. So I might keep it short instead of going Thomas Whitley on it. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember we were going to a youth trip or something with church in Virginia, and I'm getting on the bus, and he, he stops me. And he's like, what is that thing on your face? And I'd grown a goatee. And like I said, I was like junior in high school or something. And he's like, no, go, go shave that. You know, he says the S word off. And I was like, you have a beard? And he's like, well, you know, when you have your own house, you can have a beard too. <laughs> I was like, wow. So, I, you know, I shaved it off that day. Um, but we were really discouraged, like in high school, especially because this was like during the summer. But I've always had really easy to grow facial hair. Uh, but we were really discouraged from having facial hair by the school, and it was a big public school. It wasn't like a you know That's private weird. school, yeah. And all the independent schools I've worked for have had um, policies in place where students cannot have facial hair, and it's it's not necessarily not necessarily looked down on for teachers, but it's especially with the young males, it, it's definitely not something that I felt like was encouraged by administration. Or by the kind of the, the school community. It's just kind of crazy to me. Like, why why do people care? You know, the, but they have all these ideas of kind of like what a professional looks like and all that stuff. So I understand that, but that's yeah, just, right. just crazy. No tattoos. Yeah. You know, short hair. Well, I mean, l- luckily as a guy, like, it's pretty easy to cover your tattoos up. You put a long sleeve button up on and pants. You can cover them. But it's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. That's, that's what I was thinking about doing. I was going to go this week, and now I have poison ivy, so that would not be a good no, thing. No. <laughs> um, but it's funny because every every time you see like you know outstanding male teacher of the year, it's some some dude with long hair, or you know he's he's wearing something that's not typically what you would right. wear in the classroom, or, or he's got a big beard. <laughs> you know? So it's like that well, could be me, it's, right? Right? Yep. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I never thought about that. Well, we hope you've enjoyed uh, beard chat. <laughs> Beer chat 01. 001. Um, and they're the pups. 
Yeah, the puppies. They wanted to make sure that uh, you remembered they were still here. Uh, Did you hear the baby uh, by any chance? Uh, just a bit, just a bit. But but uh, we like Ben. We'll have to get him on the show soon. So. Yep. Start getting his um, his opinion on uh, the Cubs season. So <laughs> he's got, um, you know, he and Trump sound alike. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm Thomas Whitley. You can follow me on Twitter at Thomas Whitley. You can follow Sam at Sam Harrelson. And you can always find more great podcasts at thinking.fm. Okay. Now, now you can't see when I'm recording. I can? No, you can't. I can't. Cannot. Was I able to? Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Like, as opposed to using Zencaster when I could see the red light go on. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, I'm going to have to be careful in the pre-show now. Well, you know, we've got our, our text and our context and our pretext and our right. post-text. Our canon within the canon. Exactly. <laughs>